Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Thanking you as always for clicking on this podcast. If you're a first-time listener, long-time listener, all the same, it really does mean the absolute world. So thank you as always. In this particular episode, we're going to be revisiting the 2014 release Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, and a film that I really, really enjoy. I'm a huge fan of the Godzilla character, what they've done over the years, obviously from Toho to, to where we are now with the American, obviously for versions of the film. I think the Monsterverse has been really, really great bit bumpy at times but overall it has some amazing special effects some great storylines in particular this particular Godzilla film anyways um, and it's one that I was always really wanting to do on this podcast to talk about this Godzilla film because I spent a good number of years just waiting for this film to come out like I genuinely did obviously I, I, I'm one of those kind of there's those films when you're a kid that don't kind of you know stay the same in the nostalgia goggle sense like Batman and Robin, for example. As a kid, I loved that film. Older and wiser, you're like, it's a pretty trash film, but still, I, I might be able to give it a watch, but it's a bit of a painful one. Whereas the 1998 Godzilla film, it isn't, it's not amazing by any stretch, don't get me wrong, but you may you may be familiar with the podcast episode that I've done already, where I did revisit the 98 film, and I do still have a soft spot for that. It was a film that I went to see at the cinema, I was so excited for. It went, the marketing for, this, for that film was unbelievable, um, and it's always stayed with me since. I still own it on multiple formats, Godzilla 1998, for all its flaws and for all its not Godzilla-esque version of the of the title character. Um, I still really like it. But still, that was the last like American version of the Godzilla character, the version of the film. It was one of those that was meant to get plenty of sequels but never did, and it kind of just was in limbo ever since. And I believe that for a while... There was a lot of like back and forths in particular with the the contract or, of it or whatever that, that was with TriStar. They owned the rights to make, obviously, the American version of the Godzilla film, and it was a case of waiting and waiting for that, that kind of contract to end so that someone else, such as Legendary, could pick it up and make an actual better version of, um, of it. Well, just a better Godzilla film, really. And this film, for me, is just so good. It's, it's, it's one of those that, I know it came out in 2014, but it does really like stick out as one of my favourite films ever. Um, I just loved what Gareth Edwards did with the approach of the film. The less is more aspect of it. it took heavy inspiration from the likes of Jaws and a lot of other Spielberg films like Jurassic Park. And there's so many nods, obviously, throughout the film, obviously, to those to those classic Spielberg films. Um, that I just get massive green ticks for me. I think that Gareth Edwards had the best approach for it. He goes on to say that Godzilla is definitely a representation of the wrath of nature. We've taken it very seriously and that the theme is man versus nature and Godzilla is certainly the nature side of it. You can't win that fight. Nature always going to win and that's what the subtext of the movie is about. He's the punishment we deserve. You can tell that they've just understood this character. They've understood what to do with it. Tried to bring in those real life kind of themes as well. Making it obviously homing in solely on that, that Brody family, obviously Brian Cranston, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, by focusing on just a sole family as well, I think was excellent because it really kind of managed to explore so much more. They've, they've kind of been in it much longer than what they um, what they would anticipate and what I expected. But I really just think this film is excellent. I'm really looking forward to going and talking a little bit more about it. I've done plenty, I say I've done plenty of research, but I, I spent so many years, as I say, in the build-up to this film from 20, I think it was announced in like 2011, 2012 or something like that, that I was waiting and waiting for any kind of glimpse a glimpse of anything whatsoever that i could find on the internet any updates just in preparation for this film it really was ask any of my friends obviously when this film was coming out godzilla was my most anticipated and and honestly um the comic con trailer lives rent free in my head and i'm sure that i will mention that again 
very shortly. But before we do dive into a little bit more, obviously, thank you so much for clicking on this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you hit the notification button, hit the follow button as well on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Leave us a review as well. That'd be really appreciated. Really would appreciate that. If you jump onto Facebook and search Joe Blogs About Films, you can find the Facebook page there. Give us a like and a follow. And hey, presto, you'll find out what's going on with the show, uh, with the podcast, sorry, as and when. So here we are then. I, I've kind of put this off for a while. I, I don't really know why, because like I say, it's such a great, great film. And I genuinely watch this a couple of times a year. Like, I honestly do. I think this is a great, great film. Gareth Edwards, obviously on the back of what he did with Monsters. If you've not seen Monsters, do check that out. Don't watch the sequel. It's just no. But the first film, Monsters, you knew kind of straight away when watching that, Pretty much what to expect from Edwards when he took on Godzilla. You know, the monsters are in the film monsters, but it's it's not it's not necessarily about them. It's more about the characters and how they're having to kind of go through that. But also there's that level of sympathy towards the monsters because they can't necessarily help being here. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's the same for like the monsters in this, the Mutos uh, within the film, which was great as well to have this because... That's one of the things that they got wrong on the 98 Godzilla is that he was, yeah, he was kind of an anti-hero, but he was just a big monster. It was just a big monster movie. It was always seen that Godzilla was a bit of a villain in the first, in the in the 1998 uh, version of the film. And that's not the case. Like, Godzilla is genuinely an anti-hero. And I'm glad they brought that back, this kind of Godzilla fighting other monsters. Because this is the thing, like, when you talk about kaiju and monsters and stuff, obviously at that time... You know, when we're talking Pacific Rim had already been out, and I do believe that Gulamoro del Toro was in the pipeline, or at least murmured to be directing this film, or at least kind of in a in a in a short list of potential directors. But I think that with watching what what Gareth Edwards did with Monsters, you can see why he got that. He got everything right. Like it was the, the his cinematography in the way that he shoots stuff and the way that he can incorporate either I don't know transition of scenes, whether using smoke or whatever to kind of come out dust particles flying at the screen or whatever. You just felt like you would, like I say, you're always there within that moment. And I feel that he does really well with his characters because obviously after Godzilla, he went on to do Rogue One, which is arguably the best Disney Star Wars film that's come out. In terms of Star Wars films, I would say it is. Um, obviously TV series, as you probably say, Mandalorian kind of thing. But I think that Rogue One is an excellent film, uh, kind of bridging that gap between episode three and four. And again, the characters in that are amazing. You know, like I say, what he did with, with the Star Wars, with, with the Star Wars characters in that, sorry, really, really excellent. So he's always really nailed on with that. Like, it's not just a case of, okay, I've got Godzilla to play with. I've got the Star Wars world to play with. I'm just going to kind of play it safe, whatever. Because if you think about it as well, just on a bit of a side note with Star Wars as well, much like he did with Godzilla with the whole less is more approach, which some fans didn't like, I think it was great. I think it was right to do so. Like you think about Darth Vader as a villain. He's the main bad, obviously. He is, you know, he's not all the way through Rogue One. He kind of pops up. He must have about five, 10 minutes screen time, a bit like Godzilla does. But in those moments, they are so memorable because they're so epic. Obviously, you've got the famous hallway scene at the end. But yeah, like his moments, even if it's just him chatting and interacting with other characters, they're memorable. Same goes for Godzilla, because when Godzilla is on the screen and it takes, we're talking, I think I timed it when I was watching it again the other day, it's 55 minutes into the film that Godzilla does make an appearance, like the full appearance. That is where we get to see, you know, that the camera track up from feet to top and see his mighty, mighty head roar. Um, it's 55 minutes into the film, but again, the build-up and suspense to it, it's all worth it. The payoff is worth it. Again, I do I do hear those people that say, 
we didn't see enough of him. It's a Godzilla film, and yet he's not in it. But then again, you look at the films that inspired Godzilla in, ter- in terms of what inspired Edwards when making this. Um, Jaws, again, you don't see the shark for a very long time until I think it was obviously way out of the sea. You get to see glimpses like we do in Godzilla. But again, it's that high suspense. Gareth Edwards going on to say that he decided on the restrained approach, similar to when films such as Sense of Anticipation and, and that relied on high suspense such as Alien Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind being huge influences. And why he chose that, he said that he felt that the modern cinema, it's so easy to just throw everything at the screen constantly. And he's right, because it is. It really is. Like the, I, I think I stated a few days ago, obviously, when I did my Predator, my Prey review, that these days with any kind of big character or big, you know, uh, big characters such as this that are getting sequels or reboots or whatever... They just want to show them straight away. They just want to be like, here they are. And it's funny that he says, that Gareth Edwards saying that modern cinema do that. And that's exactly what they did in King of the Monsters. You know, that's one of my main issues with it. It was just too much going on. I felt that they didn't have to have too many monsters in King of the Monsters. It was great, obviously, to have all of these fantastic characters from that world again, from the Toho world coming into coming into our into the into the American version of the films, but at the same time, I don't know. I felt that the King of the Monsters is definitely the weakest of the bunch. But I, I think that the whole approach, like from everything, from the marketing of this film to obviously when it was released, I, I've I, I loved every aspect of this because I didn't realize that the project actually began as an IMAX short film in two thousand and four, um, but was transferred to Legendary in two thousand nine to be re- redeveloped as a feature film. Um, officially getting announced in 2010 and Edwards was then announced as the director in 2011 but I think that uh, I can't remember exactly the name of it it was oh that I think it was Godzilla to the Max 3D or something like that it was going to be called this short kind of IMAX film um, which would have been cool I'm glad obviously it wasn't just a case of a short film I'm glad that we did get a full length feature for him because It'd been too long, man. Like I said, '98 was the last time that we got a big feature of length of Godzilla. Um, it just needed, just needed to happen. Like it was, I've just, I remember I say the build up for this been so, so engrossing for me. Um, I say a surprise teaser trailer and poster was revealed at Comic Con 2012. Um, this is the trailer I was talking about, and and I remember when it when it was announced and when when people were describing it online, I really wanted to watch it, and then some absolute hero leaked it online, full HD as well. We're not talking camcorder malarkey, and I it, honestly I think it's up there as one of my favorite trailers. It is actually available now on YouTube, so go and search the Godzilla Comic Con 2012 trailer. It it will be there, and it actually features the famous monologue from the uh, from J. Robert Oppenheimer. Obviously, Oppenheimer's getting his own film. Christopher Nolan uh, next year that is sorry but that line of him saying now I've become death destroyer of worlds just it cuts from that to then seeing the silhouette of all this chaos and destruction the the, the music that's playing we just see this huge hand sweep through the uh, they say through the dust and, 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 and destruction and then it pans up and we get to see Godzilla and he lets out his roar um, I, I think it was just an amazing trailer. It was, again, building up that suspense. It really did sell you what to expect with this film, especially for being so early on, because this is a whole two years before the film came out. Pretty much all the footage that's in this trailer isn't in the film. It just shows you chaos and destruction and seeing you know, the body count of all these crushed people. There was even a kind of like a centipede-looking monster, which never actually came into, uh, came into the Godzilla film. But it just gave us that right level of suspense as well. And obviously what I liked as well with the touch of having Oppenheimer is he was a nuclear physicist who worked on obviously the atomic bomb, which in the Godzilla canon led to the creation of the monster. So it's nice having that touch for that. Obviously they do it a little bit differently in, in the whole, in this in this um, monster verse with legendary. Obviously you've got the, you know, the, the cave systems or whatever, the uh, hollow earth, sorry, I should say, and all of that jazz. But still, 
I felt that what Gareth Edwards was building up there was straight away, it had me hooked. Like I knew that I was not going to be disappointed with this film regardless. I felt that it was going to be something that I'd wanted all along. I wanted to see from Godzilla because it had been so long. I mean, for starters, the design for Godzilla, I mean, we only got to see the silhouette of him from that trailer, but you just knew that the design was dead on because obviously many people had problems with the uh, iguana-looking lizardy looking dinosaur that we had in the 1998 version um obviously that's the thing because i remember people being like well godzilla's too fat now like no it's just the design in the 1998 one was completely wrong like that's not like godzilla he's got big legs man he can't just have like just a thin slim body and short arms kind of thing he's not he's not like your t-rex or whatever it was uh yeah it was completely wrong but still i mean that design in itself for the 98 one still is is iconic for for the, for the whole marketing campaign, let's be honest, but still, I, I digress. Uh, the film's budget was more than actually the 1998 film's entire domestic gross. So the Godzilla 2014 budget was $160 million and it grossed $529 million. And the 1998 budget was $130-150 million and that only grossed, I say only, it's still quite a lot, but $379 million. Um, I think that, again, it's nice to see that when this film did come out, it did so well. And that's, again, it probably helps when you've got someone like Brian Cranston that was cast in there on the back, literally just on the back of Breaking Bad finishing. I, I believe as well that for most of his scenes, he was actually wearing a wig, having obviously shamed, uh, having a shaved head for the uh, Heisenberg character, the amazing Heisenberg character, Walter White, in Breaking Bad. So I think having someone like that in this as well really did help because the cast has got some great names in there. So Aaron Taylor-Johnson's in there, as I already mentioned, Elizabeth Olsen as well. Um, obviously, Cranston, but Ken Watanabe and um, Sally Hawkins really great as to david strathan and juliette binoche who uh, obviously plays sandra brody the uh the the wife of joe brody which i will come to because there's certain things in films when you you, you see a moment or, or a sequence and, and if it's early on as well it's even more devastating but i honestly always choke up at her demise in the film i should i should as well warn before that there will be spoilers in this film if you've not seen godzilla i mean it's been out for a number of years now so your fault if you haven't but as I say, I will talk a little bit more about it, but I think that that moment between those two is so powerful. But I, I'll save that for uh, for a moment or two because obviously Cranston, um, I think Cranston has some uh, some points that I jotted down about that as well. But really, really like this is the thing. Just just quickly talk about the cast and stuff in terms of performances. Everyone is pretty pretty bang up in this. Like I think there's there's maybe one or two lines maybe here or there that you're a little bit like oh, okay, a bit cheesy, but I'll let you off. But I do feel that sense that you know. Ford Brody's trying to get back to his family. Obviously, he's got the kind of the the battle within of obviously what's going off with his father, who's so hell bent on finding out what exactly exactly happened at the nuclear power plant that he worked at that caused the destruction and death of his wife. So there's a lot of like inner demons and inner, inner turmoil there, but. I just felt that everyone was so believable in every sequence. Obviously, Cranston goes without saying that he just absolutely steals every scene that he's in. Um, in particular, the one when he gets obviously uh, put into a kind of a prison holding with Ken Watanabe and such, and he's demanding his son and that his wife died there and such. So powerful, but I felt that everyone was pretty, especially like I said, it's difficult for for like characters to make a believable uh, love relationship. I would say at times, like we've seen so many where they've been in in monster movies, anyways, where you're like, this is so forced. But I don't really get that with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen in this. I do feel there's a moment, say, when she's on the phone to him, when she's finally got through to him, having not heard from him in so long, because obviously what's everything that's happened, and you do sense that that they are genuine, a genuine couple. 
Um, whether that's obviously built on the foundations that they had a great chemistry and it's been brother and sister in Age of Ultron, obviously Avengers Age, Age of Ultron, they're so used to one another, so familiar with one another that they were able to kind of take it to the next level with this these two characters. I'm not sure, but I do find that they did some really, really excellent performances within this film. Like, especially, again, Elizabeth Olsen's character obviously works within the hospital. She's obviously got certain decisions to make as well, whether to leave and, and, and go with her son, obviously, when they're evacuating the city or not. And I don't know, like, I just felt that a lot of the characters in this film, especially, like, say, Ken Watanabe, obviously, Dr. Shiro Serasawa, who does not want Godzilla or, or anything to be destroyed. Obviously, he is bringing balance to the world. You know, he, too, has obviously got... Every, every character's got their own arc, and I do feel that it is well-established and every motive is well established within this film. So again, apologies. I went on a little bit of a side side uh, side note there. It's all relevant though. It's all relative. Um, so yeah, it was all relevant there in terms of the the kind of digression about the cast performances because they are pretty pretty great. But what led me to that was obviously because the reviews and such that came out after it because it did so so well. As you mentioned there, I spoke about the budget for this film or even sorry what it grossed and such. But the critics like praise the direction for it, the visual effects, the music, the cinematography, uh, the respect, especially for the source material. And of course, as I've already stated already, Cranston's performance, but the script characters and um, the script characters and Godzilla's screen time were criticized. Uh, I've already touched upon that already about obviously Godzilla's. Uh, screen time in about 10 12 minutes or something like that interesting that they 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 criticize a few of the characters in there because i'm not i, I don't i i don't get that anyways like I, I don't feel that when i watch it i think that it's the right the the right amount anyways the right performances i i i just really really i'm going to be very biased towards this film as you can imagine so anything about that i because like i said the the visual effects and the special effects in this are really, really like jaw dropping. And some of the set pieces that they do in this, like we're going to come to obviously talk about like the halo jump sequence and all that, the bridge sequence when Godzilla first obviously makes his way. Um, is it San Francisco that he makes his way to at first? All of that anyways, it's all astounding. Like I say, it really, really is absolutely, absolutely excellent. I, I just, I, it's one of those, I can understand why people wanted to see more Godzilla being a Godzilla film, but I, I, I miss these kind of films where the suspense keeps you going. Like, you look at what Jurassic Park did, obviously. You just It was just building up, but we didn't see the dinosaur. We didn't see, like, the T-Rex straight away or anything. It was like, where is he? Oh, he's not there. Oh, okay, now the fences are gone. Here he comes kind of thing. It was always building up to something more. And I think that once the action in Godzilla kicks in and the monsters, uh, the mutos and Godzilla start, you know, drawing fists or whatever, or drawing wings, I don't know. Um, it's just, it's just, you can't take your eyes off it. It is very, very good. I think the score as well for this film is excellent as well, which I'll come to. But um, yeah, I can't really criticise too much about uh, story or character because I think it's great anyways. Um, David Callahan, David S. Goyer, Max Bornstein, Drew Pierce and Frank Darabont all had a hand in writing and polishing this script. Uh, Callahan stating that he saw themes and relationships to the modern world that he could tell in this story were very important and that he did research on Godzilla's history, animal documentaries, as well as natural disasters and local government disaster plannings in order to depict the events as close to possible real-life disasters. Uh, Frank Darabon, who obviously was famous, he's done Walking Dead and such, and also some amazing work with... Shawshank and all that uh, he mainly focused on the emotional aspect of it as you would and that the characters and how they would be developed um, Edwards went on to say that because obviously that was what Darabont was mainly focused on that he well and truly delivered on that aspect that he brought a lot of heart and a lot of soul into the film and Edwards stated that that scene in particular um, one of his scenes in particular sorry that Darabont had wrote convinced Cranston and Binoche to join the film and I'm assuming 
it's that opening moment when Benoche's Sandra Brody dies. It's, a, it's such a strong moment. Like, I mean, we'll just talk about it now, in fairness, while we're at it, because, like I stated, it's it's almost like, you know, when you saw Up for the first time and you're all, like, bawling in the cinema at, like, this uh, Disney Pixar film? Well, I'll tell you what, honestly, that moment where, like, say, when he has to make that decision to shut the, shut the doors to stop the reactor breach and lock her in... It's just gut-wrenching, you know, the build-up, say, the tension, obviously, he's, he's stood there waiting, he's got down the walkie-talkie trying to get her to, you know, say where she is or whatever, and seeing that that cloud of smoke, obviously, the radiation coming, flying towards him, um, and he only has that choice to hit that button and shut the door, and he's obviously weeping as he does so, and it's just so moving, you know, we've, we, we, we see those characters together at the start, that relationship, and they, they, it's, it's his birthday as well, obviously, adding that to a fact, and Again, you get that family dynamic that is instantly broken, instantly changed forever, um, and none of the characters necessarily will ever recover from it, in particular, obviously, Cranston, because he knows that something isn't right from the get-go. Obviously, he can't find the epicentre for, obviously, these shakes or whatever. It's a pattern that's going on. This, Obviously, what we find out is that the Muto has taken Nest there and, and obviously looks for radiation, which has caused Janjira, the nuclear power plant, to fall. But I just, I just honestly, every time I see the film, it just at this moment, it's, it's a right gut punch straight away. Really is, um, really is uh, very emotional, very emotional. Just a quick one in terms of Jaws inspiration as well. Sorry, obviously as you can imagine, I mentioned Brody already. The name Brody in the film comes from obviously Chief Brody, of uh, of Amity, obviously from Jaws. So there's another nice inspiration. Speaking further about it, Cranston obviously went on as well to say that that, that Jaws probably was the most influential film inspiring. Sorry. Godzilla. Um, Cranston's quoted saying, the film does not immediately show the beast, but rather builds up its appearance while still delivering an eerie and terrifying off-screen presence. Um, and yeah, despite his positive opinion on the film, when it first came out, Cranston has later come out and said that killing off his character early was a narrative mistake. Now, in terms of criticism, I am not going to disagree with Cranston on this, because I too was disappointed when Cranston doesn't make it past, what is it, 30 minutes in, 40 minutes in, or something like that. Um, it's, it's one of those classic kind of you've seen them all before in films where you've got the crazy guy that's adamant that something's not quite right lo and behold when things are shown that things aren't quite right the crazy guy's already died kind of thing so I do I do I do understand that because I, I wish that Cranston was in it for the duration of the film because at the end of the day he's got kind of like unfinished business not only with Godzilla itself but in, in respect of obviously the, the mutos that were the reason that his wife did end up dying so I guess that yeah it's a little bit of a it is one that I, I do wish that it stayed around for but I can see from a again a narrative decision that that he sets up his son then to kind of finish that story off like his son's always kind of seen his dad as a little bit of a burden not really always kind of in his crazy theories and just having to bail him out of prison all the time it's almost like his life in, it's almost like his son Ford's life has continued, whereas his father Joe Brody, he's kind of been st- stood still and stationed, just reliving those moments once again and kind of looking for those answers that, to everyone else, he seemingly will never get, and that there is no explanation to it other than it was just a kind of a power plant failure kind of thing. When obviously Cranston knows that that you know that that can't be the case, so. It, 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 I get it, you say it's disappointing that Cranston didn't make it, and I, I wish he did make it more towards the end. But then, as I say, I, I do I do understand from that narrative choice of letting him, um, yeah, of, of kind of killing him off too early. It's one of those. It's just, it's yeah, take it or leave it. Cranston, when he's on screen, is amazing. They could have really, really carried that on throughout the film. But 
it it doesn't really take anything away from it. Like I say, I still absolutely bloody adore this film. Um, and like I say, uh, Andy, uh, in terms of Godzilla and such in the film, um, Andy Serkis actually provided consulting work on the film's motion capture sequences to control the souls, to air quote, of the creatures. And I think as well, like I've already mentioned that the research behind with the Mutos, they did a lot of looking into, um, you know, like the the aspects of kind of, you know, looking at various real life insects and behaviour patterns or whatever um and the mutos in this are com- combinations of aspects of real life insects as i say the male remains dominant uh, dormant for 15 years before emerging as a winged adult similar to a periodical society society could be pronouncing that completely wrong the female is twice the size of the male but lacks the wings like fireflies and certain wasps they use long distance mating calls similar to crickets they grow and mature inside living hosts like certain wasps do, um, which obviously that's another kind of thing that, that they've kind of taken on now in the MonsterVerse. So obviously we've kind of got the background and lore about Godzilla and Kong being ancient rivals and such, and obviously having seen this huge skeleton that Ken Watanabe's character and Sally Hawkins' character come across um, in those caves in uh, obviously in the in the 99 part, in the 99? Yeah, 1999 part of the storyline um, within the film, sorry. It was cool to see that cause it's like because they're like, oh, is this is this actually Godzilla? And it's like, no, it can't be. It's, it's too old, kind of thing. He's he's still he's still knocking about, kind of thing. Um, it was it's it's cool because they're now pursuing that obviously and seeing the ancestors of Godzilla and that they've been kind of bigger beings all along. Because this is the thing that I really liked about it, especially like with the opening title sequences as well, is that all like the myths and the laws of all sea creatures and monsters that people claim to have seen. You know, Edwards makes it part of that narrative that everything that people have ever spoke about or ever seen about said sea monsters, it's always been Godzilla. It's always been this great big kaiju. It's it's been this is the one monster that people have seen that is the stuff of legends. I really like that, and also it's a, it's a cool little. There's so many little Easter eggs in that as well. So when you watch the opening of Godzilla, if you've got the time, or even someone on the internet's already done it for us, anyways. But if you like, kind of just look at the if you pause it or look at the print screen, sorry, of, of what's been covered up, obviously, as if, like, it's been confidentially, you know, covered up and such. There's so many little nods and so many little kind of stuff that's been mentioned in there. Like, one of them says something along the lines of what 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 we believe to be actual monsters turned out to be men in rubber suits, which is obviously a nod to the original Godzilla films. Obviously, that's how they would do the monsters. People dressed up a bit like how they carried on doing, you know, like Power Rangers and stuff like that. So... Uh, yeah, I do. I do like all of that aspect of it. Back to the mutos, though. The female lays her eggs on a ready-prepared food source, as flies and beetles do. And finally, the courtship is somewhat like that of some spiders and mantises, where the male presents the female with a uh, nuptial gift. So again, it's great to see because I do think that, like I've stated before, similar to what Gareth Edwards did with the monsters in Monsters, the mutos are portrayed with a hint of sympathy. Uh, they're not basically just big ass monsters and outright evil that are just malicious in the sense they want to go around destroying things they're merely animals trying to survive and raise a family in this strange and hostile world because it's similar to you could look at that with cloverfield as well because the the monster in cloverfield is obviously a baby monster it's it's, it's, it's clover comes out of the sea and it's like holy hell what is all of this stuff like these monsters these mutos sorry they, like I say, have been dormant for so long. They've come out and now they're like, okay, we, we now need to reproduce and carry on our our life cycles and keep our, keep our uh, you know, monster race going. And they've been blown to hell by tanks and stuff obviously because it's not it's, this isn't this isn't their world now should we say so i do like that as i say i do really like what they did with the with the mutos because i saw so many memes as well like when the mutos were like kind of hugging and kissing 
and this and that where like people are like still a better love story than twilight <laughs> like it's just it's all of that like i say um one of my final points that i wrote down in terms of like a bit of a background is that speaking about what happens at the start of the film obviously with juliet binoche's character and cranston obviously and, and the relationship and her dying quentin tarantino admitted to crying during that sequence stating that it was the first time that i've ever cried during a 3d blockbuster and when Tarantino's saying stuff like that, you know, he's come out recently as well. I've been talking about how he never thought he'd see a cinematic event like Top Gun Maverick again. But when he's coming out and saying something like this uh, about a Godzilla film, it, it, I can't, I think I, it just stresses, doesn't it, just how powerful that opening sequence is. It really is. And like I say, Cranston's performance throughout the scenes that he's in really are nailed on. Um, and I just think, like I said, that that opening. The whole opening, obviously, is so emotional, so powerful, and just sets us up for, like I said, that fight back, obviously, for all these characters, and especially for, like, Cranston, that drive to find the answers that he's been craving and waiting for for so many, so many years. Um, yeah, it is just heartbreaking, as I say, for those two characters. But with with everything, like I say, with the film itself, there are so many things I absolutely dig about this film. So many shots, so many sequences. A lot of stuff really is, uh, for me, just what I... I, I, I can't take my eyes off the screen. Like I said, the, the build-up to the first arrival of Godzilla when he comes out of the sea, from sea to land, it's just that that tension, that build-up. As I say, well, we see his dorsal fins or whatever coming out of the sea. And this is the thing as well, is that when Ken Watanabe is on the... the, the uh, the ship cruiser or whatever it is that they're on in the middle of the sea, we see the spikes coming towards him and Godzilla decides to go under and, and doesn't take out the ship, goes under the ship and comes out the other side towards the land in contrast to what he does in Godzilla versus Kong, because obviously they, they're seeing Godzilla as the, the kind of enemy in that film. He's kind of gone rogue almost, and so they start shooting at him, and he just she goes straight through them with those spikes, with those fins, doesn't he, in, in, in Godzilla versus Kong. So it's like complete contrast. Like I say, it's the, that, that thing of he's not a bad character. Like I say, he's not here. where He's not here for us. He's here for another purpose, especially within this film anyways. Like, we only see spots of Godzilla until that big reveal at the airport, which in itself, I can't, I mean, that airport sequence, I know it only lasts a few, well, it lasts longer in terms of the sequence lasts longer, but Godzilla in that sequence isn't in it, but it's still bloody amazing. Um, but everything before that, again, from Edwards, you know, this whole less is more approach really just was such a grand move. I've said it a couple of times already, but I do think it was the best move for this film. Like having that tsunami happen in Miami when Godzilla obviously is coming out from, from the sea it's like another movie in its entire entirely, you know what I mean? Like, you've got a dog on the beach, you've got that added concern and stress, a bit like Independence Day, you know, when everything's blowing up, and you're like, please let the dog get out of this. You know, the dog's on the beach barking away, he does get out of uh, and runs off. Um, it's not the same magnitude, obviously, as the Independence Day sequence, but you do have that. But like I said, the sea coming in, and we get to see, you know, it hitting everything, going through the buildings, you've got families and such, taking shelter where they can. I just love the shot of, of how the camera just tracks, seeing the, the flow in the sea crashing through all the buildings, and it's following it all the way, and then it goes up to the top of the building, and then we see these soldiers who release the red flares, and obviously I love the use of red in this film, there's a lot of it, uh, especially with flares and smoke and such, but when those flares go up, obviously you've, got, you've, got, you've had this tracking motion of the camera following the sea up the building to the soldiers, now we're following the flares, as they come down, my God, there is a big monster stood there. Like, you know, we, we just see the arms and that's like, part of the body as it kind of obviously hear the noise of Godzilla um, all the way to just reveal that that huge size of him because he's bloody massive in this film, Godzilla. I think it's the biggest form and iteration we've had of the character just amplifying that kind of magnitude that he has, really. He's just, he's just a big, big, 
bad man. Like, you know what I mean? He's, he's a good man, but he's a bad guy as well. Uh, but I really, really just love that whole sequence. And then the entrance, obviously, falling off from that, because this is the first time that we see him. And again, it's those kind of, like, approaches similar to Jaws where we're just seeing little bits and pockets of him. So, like, when we ca the camera tracks back and we just see after they've started firing at him, you know, his tail going around the corner of a building that's been destroyed. And then, you know, this use of this wide shot really helps... Um, in the airport, that the, the airport sequence, it's, it's amazing what they do because they, they showed little glimpses of it in the trailers, but the whole actual sequence is fantastic. Where you get the helicopter coming into the Muto that's obviously trying to that's that's now arrived at the airport. You know, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character is uh, with the young kid, which again is another little nod to Short Round, obviously from from uh, from Indiana Jones. Um, I really like that aspect of it as well. And again, I, I like this is the thing like these believable moments with the characters when he's all like, "Oh, I better not miss my miss my flight, kid," kind of thing after he has to take him back to his parents. But you know, the Muto just rocks up. There's all hell breaking loose. There's a helicopter that flies towards the Muto, which is then accidentally clipped by Godzilla, which then which then flies um, crashes into a small plane that explodes. The explosion then causes another plane to explode. This is all while the camera is tracking on this wide shot. And then that explodes, obviously. The, the second plane, sorry, then flies, or the debris flies forward as we reveal Godzilla's big old feet as he stomps towards a Muto. It is stunning. Just one thing after the other, after the other, from this to this to this. Then we get that wonderful, wonderful appearance on screen for Godzilla. Pan up from feet to heads, which is exactly what they did in the 1985 Godzilla film as well, which is a great little nod. But the, everything, you've got flames kicking off around him, and then, yeah, there he is, roaring, ready for battle. And again, this is where like the criticism does come in of the film itself, because people are like, oh, well, you know... We get that, and then it cuts away, and we don't actually see them fight. But it's that it's what this is where I this is what I like about what Edwards did within this film. This is what he does in quite, especially did in Monsters as well. I believe I don't know if he does it so much in Rogue One because it's a completely different ball game altogether, the Star Wars world. But like he utilizes news reports on TV um, and showcases like spots of fighting really well, like between the monsters, where whether like the news reports itself are either showcasing like the monsters or the mutos or Godzilla, or whatever. Sorry. Or if it is just kind of explaining what's the the current situation, like it's not your classic exposition dump per se, maybe to an extent, but still, it's not per se. It's really clever how he does it, as it's part of another scene entirely. Like for example, there's a moment when obviously Ford uh, joins the military with their nuclear bomb on their train, and as as we as the cameras kind of panning back, we come into an office, we see the soldiers in the distance jumping on the on the train to take off. But then it kind of cuts back and there's a, a TV that's just been left on. And we're seeing, like, at that moment where the Muto is heading. It's stuff like that. It's similar to, obviously, when it cuts back, obviously, after the first reveal of Godzilla, when it cuts then to, obviously, back to Elizabeth Olsen and her son in the in their apartment. And the son's obviously asleep and Elizabeth Olsen's just kind of tied up. But in the background, you can just see the monsters, like, hacking away at each other and whatever. And then it obviously finishes there and then we get to see the zombie like mommy look dinosaur and it's like what's going on here kind of thing it's stuff it's stuff like that and this is why i know why people were, were kind of complaining that yeah we need to or at least wanted to see more of godzilla um but i don't know i just i, I, I i'm fine with what they did with it i think that like i said the moments that we do get him are too memorable you know what i mean like because we've been building up the suspense of it um it's yeah it's not it's not necessarily it's it's, it's like i say it's more that there is characters in there as well that we have to establish and i guess that Again, I see the argument again on the flip side where people are like, I'm paying money for a Godzilla film. I don't care about rubbish characters. Fine, fine. I see your argument. Yes, me too. I would also love to see Monster. I think that 
the balance, the, the best balance of it then, for, for argument's sake, I think maybe, maybe Kong Skull Island, if we're going to talk about the MonsterVerse, is a good balance, I think. Godzilla versus Kong does as well. I think that again they got that they they really went in more so with like right more monster action probably and less less humany talky talk. Uh, whereas like for me, King of the Monsters just went completely overboard the completely wrong way. I would say I think that it was like trying to balance it very well in terms of human and monster action. But it, it, I just get lost in that film. It just really is just kind of... Uh, really was disappointing, that film. I, I, I will definitely do a podcast on King of the Monsters. I'll do them all eventually, but King of the Monsters was really underwhelming for me. Um, I've already said as well about like how Gareth Edwards would use... Uh, what I like is that he, he uses stuff like to transition scenes, sorry, like smoke. For example, when the female mute starts like digging a nest, like the smoke soaring towards the screen cut into black kind of thing. I think that there's so many times that he does that within the film that it is so cool. Um, there's also so, like so many sequences that are just, like I've already stated, pretty jaw-dropping. Like when the planes are dropping out of the sky into the sea in front of the soldiers after the mute like wiped out their power and such, just really is excellent. But for me... Uh, the the moment the the best part of this film the hundred percent the best part of this film is without a shadow of a doubt the um the halo jump sequence like it is absolutely breathtaking um you know having most of that for POV as well for some of the sequence really is effective like added with the use of the red flares and how the framing of one of the sequence when they're falling down they descend in between two buildings is just wonderful really wonderful you've got the added stress as well of the breathing of the soldier whilst he's witnessing this chaos and destruction below which is so eerie and like when we get to see like a wide shot of all the smoke and the lightning kicking off as they're falling it's like they're entering a completely different world like so i mean cranston said earlier it's going to send us back to the stone age like this really does feel like it like the skydiving sequence is so so good it was actually shot in a in real life by a team of professional skydive photographers um which i think is just absolutely just really does have that that real feel to it you know it doesn't feel that obviously it's cgi heavily influenced on there as well but i really can't get over this because the sequence the soundtrack and everything is so memorable like when they're sat there and there's a guy reading quotes from the bible and there's the green light on that's on obviously then when it turns to red that's when the score comes in. Uh, I believe it's the track's called Requiem. I think um, I'm not I, I, some. I think his name is Gigory or Gyorgi Ligeti. Requiem that came on Gareth Edwards' iPods. Um, and he said the music fits so well that it ended up being in the final film. That's what he was listening to when he was uh, visualizing the skydiving sequence of, of, of this particular moment. Um, but for me, what I love about it is that it sounds like bees. Like it's almost as if the soldiers are jumping out, that they're jumping out of the craft, sorry, and leaving the hive. I just think it all works handy. It's honestly one of my favourite cinematic moments. And I remember seeing that in IMAX 3D, seeing it in the trailer as well, obviously, but seeing it fully in the film and seeing what they're seeing from that POV aspect as they're falling down. It is hands down just just so memorable. Easily for me, the best thing that the MonsterVerse has ever done. Best thing in a Godzilla film by far for me. Um, it is just absolutely stunning. One of the last things as well that I jot down here is that the moment we finally got like a real good, real good fist pump moment of Godzilla and his atomic breath, tracking from his tail all the way to his chest before he unleashes it on the Muto is pretty awesome. Like, because that's the thing in the 98 version is, is they just, I, he had like a bit of a breath, but it weren't amazing, was it? Let's be honest. I just felt that he nailed every aspect of this character. Gareth Edwards did such a bang up job with this film that I really like, I will always have 
a massive, massive soft spot for this film. Like, it is just amazing. Like I said, and I like the fact that it just it ends naturally in the sense that, you know, Godzilla does defeat the Mutos. But being, again, a badass, like I'm talking, I think that one of the early scripts, early drafts, or at least for many moons ago for Godzilla, was that he would take on a monster and that he would blow, he would, he would you know, unleash his atomic breath down the throat of it and decapitate it that way. But I was like, it's just a fantastic, fantastic moment. And again, a, a great kind of like, what a man. Like I so said, he's all the way through people are unsure whether or not they should be letting Godzilla live or not. Watanabe's character obviously saying, no, you, you do need to be letting him live. He's, he's, you know, the arrogance of man to quote is what he says is thinking that nature is in our control and not the other way around. We've got to let him fight kind of thing. I just loved all of it because him and Sally Hawkins as well, really great, really great characters. Like I said, when they're showing Ford all the stuff and all the lore about Godzilla, you know, all the secrets they've been keeping all these years and such, like they, they have a really great chemistry between the two, which is why I was really good when annoyingly they killed Sally Hawkins off so early on in King of the Monsters, it was stupid. Uh, in fairness, like King of the Monsters was just like a bit of a rewrite of everything, which is another kind of annoyance I have about it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the good Godzilla film, Joe. Come on. Um, I just felt that, like I said, that Gareth Edwards did pretty much what I would expect Gareth Edwards to do. Now that I'm, now that we know what he's like as a filmmaker, this is just amazing stuff. Like from, from when this was first kind of... You know, from from when this was first announced to where we got to it, you know, following it from start and seeing all the behind the scenes stuff and seeing what they were going for, I I just I knew that I wasn't going to be disappointed. It would have been it would have been a massive disappointment if I if it was really underwhelming. But for me, this film has a lot. Like it just really does. Um, yeah, really is awesome. So out of ten for me, this film is like a very strong eight and a half nine. Uh, which probably is a lot higher than other people will have for the 2014 Godzilla film, but I don't care. <laughs> like this is this is me. I say I would love to know what people think about the Godzilla film as well. But like I say, it opened the door then because I do believe that obviously you know Toho and such they were so happy with what they'd done with the Godzilla character that they they were obviously always going to allow them to carry on and make something more um, with this character. So. It just all round win win because as soon as this as soon as this film finished, I think it wasn't very much long before they announced a sequel, um, and and here we are now four or five films later, whatever it is, and we're going to be getting more. So there's another Godzilla versus Kong film that's going to be set. There's also a Godzilla TV series that's coming out. You know, if Gareth Edwards hadn't have done such a good job with this film, none of that would have happened. You know what I mean? So there has to be some credit given to this film, especially for like the special effects and such. I love obviously so many nods. I've already mentioned obviously a nod to Indiana Jones that's in there. I like the nod of obviously having the guy on the bus. Um, on the, sorry, on the on the yeah, it was got the kids on the bus on the bridge when the raw first happens and it's raining as well, and he wipes his windscreen just like obviously Ian Malcolm does in Jurassic Park, stuff like that. Massive ticks for me. There's so many of these moments in the film that you can see clearly the inspiration behind it. Um, and yeah, just the less is more approach for me worked really, really well. Uh, my dad agreed with this as well because, like, we, we both said about King of the Monsters, they were just like two in your face, like, just really two in your face. I will definitely do a King of the Monsters podcast because I do eventually want to do all the Monsterverse films. But to start with, as I say, talking about Godzilla 2014 has to be done because it is without doubt. One of my all-time favorite films. It really is excellent. The Halo sequence in this, um, just jaw dropping. I've already, I think, I've said enough about that anyway. So, with that, I've given you my score, given you my thoughts. I've waffled long enough. I'll leave it there. But I really do appreciate you listening. Please do let me know what your thoughts are on Godzilla 2014. If you had like kind of similar feelings about certain sequences where you enjoyed more but didn't like maybe the story overall or the characters or whatever, do let me know. I, I, I've obviously, well, you know my thoughts. I very much did enjoy pretty much all of it. So. 
There we go. Until the next episode, though, thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back very, very soon with more films and TV to talk about. But until then, take care.